Hello and welcome to Elixir Talk, the podcast where we discuss your questions about Elixir application design and the ecosystem. My name is Desmond Bowie, and I'm joined by my co-host, Chris Bell. Hey, Desmond. How's it going? Hi, Chris. It's going pretty well. How are you? I'm pretty good. Yeah, pretty good. How was uh, that train journey across the U.S.? Uh, It was a lot of fun. So I just moved from New York to L.A., and I took the train across the country. And if any of you have a chance to take a long-distance train, it's a lot of fun. It's it's a very cool experience. It's not like the... uh, northeast corridor where they kind of throw you on the train and uh shuffle you <laughs> off you get your own room they have uh private berths the meals are included it's a very cool experience that sounds pretty nice yeah, yeah. but and now you're here on this podcast i am it's funny i go all the way across the country and yet <laughs> we meet here in cyberspace on this That's podcast true. uh so uh, Desmond and I know each other because we're both organizers of this uh, great uh, Elixir conference here in New York and soon to be in L.A. as well. Uh, yeah, we're um, Chris is talking about the MPEX conference and we've been it's running in New York. to give things for, names. Yeah, in case people want to look it up later. It'll be in the show notes. Um, so MPEX is uh, we've been going for about two, two and a half years now in New York. And um, it's the only tech conference that's held in a jazz club. It's a lot of fun. Uh, It happens in May. And we're also starting up a regional conference in Los Angeles in this coming February called MPEX West. So that's still in early stages, but stay tuned for a bigger announcement soon. Yeah, and if you haven't been to MPEX yet here in New York, uh, definitely come and check it out. We're looking to do an event really soon as well. Uh, Last year, we did this fantastic Halloween event. Uh, This year, we won't be dressed up or doing a Halloween thing but we are going to be doing an event by uh, before the end of the year. So definitely check it out on our website. Cool. So um, Chris, for the benefit of our listeners, what do you, what do you do for a living? Um, so I'm a director of engineering here at frame.io where we make some video collaboration software uh, and we're, we make very uh, heavy use of Elixir day to day as well. Uh huh. Cool. How long have you been working with Elixir? Uh, ooh, coming up to three years, I guess, at this point. Cool. What about you, Desmond? Uh, I've been working with Elixir for about two and a half years. So I'm a freelancer. I run a company called Crevalli that does um, development and training services. And uh, I just relocated from New York to L.A. And um, I've probably worked on, what, almost a dozen Elixir apps by now at this point? Some client work, some personal stuff. Uh, former Rails developer, and uh, I still remember the first time I spent a weekend like digging into Elixir, saying I'm going to learn something new, and um, pretty quickly realized that this was kind of the way forward. Yeah, it's. So, uh, I've been doing this day in day out for uh, like a year and a half, like full time now, just writing Elixir, and it's been fantastic. So, no turning back at this point. No. No, there isn't. Plus, we have this podcast, so... <laughs> That's right, we're very invested now. Speaking of the podcast, <laughs> let's turn to some of our uh, user-submitted questions. If any of you out there want to submit us a question, we have a GitHub repo up at github.com slash elixirtalk slash elixirtalk. Feel free to open an issue with your question, and uh, we'll see how many we can get to each week. Uh, so we've got a question about deployment, as does most of the Elixir community. Um, so I figured it would be a pretty good topic for us to start with and kind of do a bit of an overview about deployment. Great. How do you feel about actually doing this? Because it's uh, quite a meaty subject. 
It is, it is, but that's what people want to hear, and that's what we're here to give them. We're just pleasing the crowd. <laughs> so, uh, Chris, I don't know if you were at the uh, National Elixir Conf a couple of weeks ago, but um, Dockyard announced that they are opening up a full-time position for someone to work on deployment. Um, it's been enough of a pain in the community that uh, Dockyard has offered to support someone to work on this uh open source full-time and it has the full support of Platforma Tech. Uh, this person will work with Jose to really make deployment a first-class citizen in the Elixir community. Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm so I really applaud the effort. I think, um, first of all, I think that trying to address this and trying to recognize the fact that people have a lot of issues with deployment right now is a, is a really positive thing. Um, mm -hmm. I'm a little bit concerned because deployment is quite a fragmented subject um, in that I think a lot of people are using different approaches to deploy uh, their Elixir applications right now. And I'm concerned that will a true deployment solution work across all of those kind of uh, different platforms and things that people are using? Yeah, that might, a single solution might have flown maybe 2008, 2010. Um, but I think with the rise of Docker, with the rise of uh, Heroku, with the rise of, I mean, I guess, cloud hosting hasn't really arisen. But I think people's use cases are much more much more specific now than they would have been 10 years yeah, ago. Yeah, and uh, I th so personally, I think Docker is a great solution. Um, I think you can do a lot worse than trying to kind of build uh, Elixir services into Docker and ship those out. I think there's some disagreement in, especially in this community about whether Docker is the right tool for the job. Um, Basically, mm -hmm. if you think about it, what you're doing is kind of putting a scheduler inside of virtualized, inside of a container, and then often running that inside of virtualized um, hardware. Um, so I think at times this idea of kind of running a scheduler inside of a container, which is effectively like being scheduled by, uh, by some kind of container orchestration layer, doesn't really work that well. So it's, uh, I don't know, I'm, I personally, I love, I really, really love Docker. I think it really simplifies this, but I'm wondering uh, if they do design a solution, is it going to feel a lot more like a very polished version of distillery, um, which for everyone out there, if you haven't used distillery yet, it's uh, basically a tool to build and compile your releases uh, into something like an executable, like a tarball that they have. Yeah, great, great library. Yeah, I, I mean... I, I really, really hope that uh, we can do a better job of deployment in the Elixir community, definitely. I think that, I, so backing up a bit, I think that uh, a lot of people's issues with deployment are that they they think about deployment as just putting some code on a server and, and then that code is dynamically run. Like what we used to do with, say, uh, any kind of dynamic language like Ruby or Python or PHP. And I think, the, the difference in mindset here is that you have to think about, oh, I need to build an artifact that's compiled and then is executed. And that's, you know, that's a big departure from what people were doing previously. Particularly with the Erlang VM, which is not designed to be restarted. It's not designed for uh, ephemeral deployment on hardware that's changing out from underneath it. I mean, it's really built to start running and then keep running, which is why they design these hot code upgrades and other features that people are or are mm -hmm. not using. 
Um, and it's just, it's a different paradigm from stateless, uh, anonymous, just, oh, the dyno went down, spin up another one, whatever. That's, I mean, that's true, but I definitely think that you can run Elixir services as very stateless kind of services like that, that are deployed onto nodes that can disappear. And that's completely fine as well. Um, I, I, I think that whatever you do there, the, the options for deployment are fairly kind of pretty broad and we should probably uh just dig into those and give people a bit of an overview about what options exist today sure so i think the the easiest option the first step (laughs) having said all that is if you're just getting started with elixir or phoenix and you're trying to get your mind around how this works and you want to just get something up deploy to heroku it's as simple as heroku gets you get push heroku master yeah and your app is running yeah, I, I mean, I've uh, I've run a lot of production apps on Heroku, uh, especially Elixir applications. The performance is really good. I mean, um, I, th- I think it's a great place to start. I really do. I think, obviously, not everyone's use case will be ideal for Heroku. But if you're if you're just building your first Elixir application and you want to push it out into the wild, uh, you can do a lot worse than using Heroku. Definitely. Yeah, it's the wrong. I don't think you want to solve the problem of learning the language and deployment in one <laughs> no yeah and i mean when you start to go down any other path you're starting to look at different pieces of tooling and infrastructure that you have to deal with so just using a platform as a service where you know all of that magic and all of everything else is taken care of for you and all you have to concentrate on is building your application you know that there's there's much worse ways to start out yeah now the downsides to heroku are that, uh, in my mind, the big one is that it doesn't expose um, other Erlang ports. So you cannot connect to it with uh, a remote IEX session. You cannot connect to it with the observer and use all these tools that the Erlang community has spent years building to be able to introspect the system. So you end up flying blind a lot of the time. And even um, traditional solutions like New Relic, where you instrument your uh, web requests, I mean, you can get your web request response time and some breakdown in the database and so forth. But Erlang systems, your applications are structured differently. So it's really difficult to monitor, what if I spawned a process and that crashed? Um, What's the performance of these uh, background jobs? Are there bottlenecks in my gen servers? You really lose um, visibility into all these things. Yeah, I I do think the introspection tools are pretty useful, definitely. I think that being able to attach a debugger at runtime and and being able to look at the state of your system is a really powerful thing. But I also think that, you know, not everyone needs to debug an application like that as well. So not having that, yeah, I mean, it's definitely a downside, but I wouldn't say that it's the worst thing in the world as well. Uh, It's probably not the (laughs) worst thing. That was a bit uh, dramatic there. Oh, well, but it's hard to get people's attention these days without drama. So um, what are you all doing at Frame for your hosting? Yeah, uh, so as I said before, we're, um, we're really into Docker. Um, we, we've actually been using a Docker-based uh, deployment system where we push containers up to, uh, to Amazon's uh, ECS service, which is their container uh, service. So basically what we do is we build all of our containers. We actually have a two-step build process. So we have 
one container that builds and then uh, basically we ship that artifact that the build container uh, builds onto a release container and then we push that release container up into a repository and then we spin up a service running that code. How automated um, is that? For us, it's like extremely automated, actually. So uh, we basically just push a build and then we use Circle CI to just automate every single step of this. So basically with ECS, you get lots of nice things like blue green deployments. Um, you can like all the load balancing is taken care of for you. Uh, it's always pinging like a health endpoint to know if the service is healthy and if it should start sending traffic to it as well. Um, Honestly, it's a really nice system. We've, there's definitely some caveats in there. Um, and there's, there's other systems that do things like this. Uh, but I think the benefit really is thinking about just packaging up this container and just having that as one build artifact that you push up somewhere. And that to us has been really liberating. Sure. Also, another important thing to consider with deployment is that you have to build your release on the same architecture as... Um, your production system. So if I'm developing my application on a Mac, I cannot build the release on my Mac and then push it up to a Linux box. I have to build it uh, in a Linux environment. And Docker helps with that because you can spin up a container that's running your production architecture and then push it up to your actual production architecture. Yeah, exactly. And um, what, one definite caveat here is that uh, you're, when you're doing this like two-step Docker build process, you should be using the same version of Linux between both of those as well. So um, actually, uh, Paul Lamb has a really great blog post all about um, bottling up Elixir using Docker. Um, and we'll definitely link to that in the show notes as well. Cool. So I'm not a big fan of Docker. <laughs> How come, Desmond? I just, I don't see what the benefit is. People say, oh, well, you can... Uh, have your development machine be the same as production. And I sort of intellectually understand benefits of that, but the the administration of running the separate system on my system and has always been more of a headache than the problems I face with, yeah, I deploy to Linux, but I develop on Mac. And I don't want to turn this into a, uh, a Docker podcast. <laughs> but um, I, so when I deploy uh my Elixir applications at Crevalli, we run our infrastructure on Linode. So we just have bare Linux boxes. And I use a combination of distillery and e-deliver um, to build and deploy my releases. And distillery, as Chris mentioned, is a library for building a release. You can build upgrades so you can hot deploy. You can build standalone releases and then deploy single executables to your production system. So on my production Linodes, I don't have to have Erlang installed. They just run on their own, which is pretty nice. Mm -hmm. um, and then eDeliver is a tool that lets me specify in a bash script, okay, here are my staging servers, here are my production servers, this is my build host, here are uh, build hooks um, and anything else that I want to get done. And then I have a couple of uh, kind of plumbing Ruby scripts that bump versions, automatically select uh, a version to build, and then can deploy or hot deploy it. Uh, and it works really well for me. Um, I have a couple umbrella apps that I use. I use it on, and then a couple of standalone apps. Uh, and it's really nice. It's simple. I can deploy things on the fly. It's one, uh, not one click, one command deploy. Um, the caveat there is 
I use the same, I use um, my production server as my build host because I don't have a lot of traffic. Mm -hmm. So I avoid the problem of compiling um, compiling my app without uh, the environment variable. So if I have my production database hard-coded in my um, production box, but I'm building on a different server, it tries to compile that system get env code and finds nothing on the build server. You don't want these keys running around everywhere. So I, I cheat there, which <laughs> I can do, but it's something you'll be aware of uh, if you're following a similar path. Yeah, uh, actually it's a really good point. We should definitely touch on uh, environment variables in these kind of build steps. So uh, I think something that a lot of people get stung with, especially early on in their kind of Elixir adventures uh, is this idea that if you're trying to inject environment variables from the outside, they're available at build time and not runtime. So uh, in, in the example I was saying earlier where we have a Docker container that builds this, so we have we basically have things that reference environment variables, that's gonna happen at build time. So unless that, do that build Docker container is fed all of those environment variables, what gets produced is gonna have the wrong configuration. Um, so actually, it, it, we're gonna just keep mentioning distillery, I think, because it is a really great tool yeah, it's really yeah, definitely, use. and we will absolutely link to that in the show notes. But Distillery has a solution for this, uh, where you use this. Um, it's a command called replace os vars. That what's that? What that's going to do is allow you to basically uh, use str uh, string interpolation as a kind of placeholder variable, and then at runtime, what Distillery will do is swap all of those out with something that you inject into it using environment variables. There, there are definitely other ways to uh, deal with this problem. Um, and I think in some ways, uh, some of the Elixir community is kind of converging on different solutions around libraries and how you configure those libraries to help deal with this. Um, so if you're a bit more familiar with uh, configuration of certain libraries, um, especially Phoenix, you might have seen a tuple where the first element is system and then you specify a string for the environment variable. And what that will do is at, at, at runtime of the library, it will read that environment variable from system.getenv. So you get around all of this problem. And sorry, I'd, we, um, I, 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 sorry I'm just gonna finish that one thought there. So you basically, you're seeing a lot more libraries kind of converge on this idea that uh, you're gonna be using system tuples or, or actually using some kind of uh, on in initialization hook to load in those environment variables so you don't have to do this dance at build or runtime. Yeah, I think that's going to be really useful. Of course, people end up using libraries that maybe aren't updated or um, they're just old libraries. So if you do run into this, be aware that that's an issue. Here's a question. This might sound weird once I say it, but what if you just put all of your environment variables on your build host and had nothing in um, Yeah, we could definitely do that. Um, for us, uh, I mean, because our build host is actually a Circle CI machine, we don't ever want to entrust that with all of our secrets. Um, so we often don't uh, want to do that solution. But I mean, it's, it's definitely doable. Um, but yeah. Yeah, I have the mindset of 
I am running all this stuff on my own hardware, so I don't. <laughs> I wasn't thinking of my build host being a right, third-party right. service. I mean, uh, it's definitely worth stressing again what Desmond said before, which is uh, don't try and build a release on one uh, architecture and then try and ship it to another. So that will definitely lead to a lot of problems for you. So try and keep your build and release hosts consistent. Yeah. So whatever you build on should exactly mirror mm -hmm. whatever you're releasing on. Yeah. Um, yeah, I, well, well, I mean, I don't feel like we've, uh, I don't feel like we've kind of covered the entirety of the concept of deployment there. But I think there's a lot of really, really good starting places uh, in the community if you're looking to do some of these things. Um, so for us, when we didn't really know much about Docker, what we used is this uh, hex package called mix underscore Docker, um, and basically that takes a lot of the legwork out of this for you. Um, it really allows you to kind of just run a couple of really simple mix commands, build those Docker releases, and have a have a built Docker container at the end of it. Um, so if you're starting out and you need something simple, it's definitely worth going with. And one of the coolest things about this, um, our Docker containers come out to about 30 megabytes per, per container, which is kind of ridiculous. It's, it's pretty mm -hmm. small. And um, we, we're using the Alpine yeah. uh, Elixir image to do that. Cool. And if you're like me and you prefer not to use Docker or you have uh, your own hosting that you can just deploy to, I would recommend a combination of Distillery and eDeliver. And um, I can post a link in the show notes to a, the gist I have with the script that um, handles all the the versioning and um, has a quick one one line deploy. And uh, basically, uh, eDeliver is like Capistrano, right, Desmond? Yeah, it's it, it's a lot like Cabastrano, where it handles the SSHing onto the different servers, creating the directories, um, running Phoenix Digest, uh, and then stopping and starting your release. Uh, but the artifact itself, um, which ends up being 30, 50 megs, whatever it is, is built by uh, Distillery. That's cool. Yeah, I, I think really the difference in these two approaches in some ways is thinking about uh, your servers as a bunch of IP addresses that are fixed and known versus some more of the kind of, I, I mean, the, the, the whole concept is called like treating your infrastructure like cattle versus pets. Um, mm -hmm. And I think the, the IP version is more like pets where, you know, you're keeping them around, you know what they are. And then the, the, the where you keep them like cattle is this idea that they come up, they go away, they're, they're there sometimes. <laughs> They've gone to slaughter for the other time. It's quite morbid, but um, <laughs> yeah, uh -huh. well, I definitely, I definitely think it represents a, like, a change in the way that people think about deploying systems and running these systems as well. Um, yeah, and unfortunately, there is no—I mean, there is no one, one answer. And we sort of alluded to this at the top when we were discussing um, this kind of community deployment position. Deployment in 2017 is uh, it's complicated, oh, yes. and I think again there is the the one stop push to Heroku solution for people getting started. Uh, but I think beyond that, you have to think about your needs and think about um, what you have to work with, and um, see what other people are doing. I don't think you can just turn to the blog post that says do this, do that, and then you're yeah, good to definitely. Go. Uh, it's really a much more thoughtful situation. Yeah, I, I would say, um, just as a plug for a talk that I saw once, um, actually at MPEX, so a plug for MPEX as well, um, Pete Gamash gave a really good overview of the kind of state of deployment uh, and talked at length about some of these concepts that we're talking about here. 
the great yeah definitely uh, we'll link to that in the show notes as well the show notes yeah I love saying the show notes uh, cool I mean <laughs> I also think that um, Pete's talk was basically what I said wow uh, right? yeah effectively effectively yeah there's uh, yes definitely oh, <laughs> <nice>. <laughs> well great so any other comments about deployment Chris um, I mean not really I would say there's some other kind of push into uh, looking at other platforms as a service I know there's a, an Elixir specific platform mm-hmm. as a service that could be really interesting uh, Gig Elixir I, I personally haven't explored that yet. Um, Desmond, I don't know if you've had a look, but uh, it looks cool. It's it's basically doing a lot of the cool kind of Heroku stuff, but a very uh, specialized platform for running Elixir services. So um, as we said at the beginning, like one of the problems with running Heroku is you don't get this idea where you can cluster your services and connect all your nodes together because the EPMD port isn't exposed. Um, and I believe Gig Elixir provides you the opportunity to do that. Uh, so it's a, it's really a, a hosting environment specialized for running the Erlang VM. And that, that to me is really interesting. Yeah, it is. Um, and it's funny because the, the Erlang community comes from dedicated hardware. And so I think this is fresh for them or there is a big hole in the market uh, for this sort of service. And Heroku was just, you know, they're too committed to... Um, stateless web apps well it, i mean they've have a generalized platform and it, it makes sense that they have that platform as well and i i would never expect them to start being like okay we're gonna support elixir apps through and through and expose all these ports and do all of that yeah. i think i think there's large uh, infrastructure challenges with doing some of these things um so actually for example right now at frame we don't actually have any service discovery inside of our cluster so we don't do any node kind of connection or anything like that um and Frankly, right now, uh, that's not something that we've we've really needed. Um, we run, we actually run Phoenix uh, for a lot of our kind of real-time socket communication. And instead of having all those nodes connected, we just use Redis as a PubSub adapter. And mm-hmm. honestly, it's working fine. Uh, I think that's a decision we'll probably readdress in the future. But it means that we have to start to think about some of these things in our in our cattle kind of environment. You know, right, right. I mean, that's kind of the fun thing about the community at this point is that mm-hmm. things are changing very quickly. And uh, I'm not sure when this podcast will be released, but uh, this is the situation as we see it right now in late 2017. Um, stay tuned because in a year, things could look very different. Yeah, and I, I really, really hope that we keep building on those great solutions like Distillery and uh, some of this more like the service discovery kind of aspects of, of this like uh, Lib cluster and um, both of those are from uh paul walker um which i think bit walker yeah bit walker uh paul i can't remember his surname sorry paul if you're listening we'll put it in the show notes yes <laughs> always in the show notes cool so uh desmond what else have you got going on what else have you been up to um that's a great question i mean I just got to LA, so I'm focused on getting settled here. Uh, I did just have a meeting last night, an exploratory meeting um, for the upcoming MPEX West conference that I think we mentioned at the top, uh, coming this February to Los Angeles. So stay tuned for details about that, but we're very excited. Uh, It's going to be a lot of fun. It's, I mean, it's so cool to see Elixir spreading to all these different places. Um, So I, I mean, 
I, I know that you probably have the same sentiments as me, but seeing the community develop over the last few years has been amazing. Um, just running the conference and then being at the meetup, seeing the interest, seeing all the companies getting involved. I think we're, we're in the heart of something that's really great. Yeah, and I mean, I'm still getting to know the LA community, but there's a bunch of big Elixir enthusiasts out here, and uh, Hannah, who runs the um, LA Elixir meetup, is super enthusiastic, very excited um, about this. And yeah, there's just a lot of latent enthusiasm it's cool. uh, out here that, yeah, like everyone's kind of cottoning onto this. Yeah, definitely. So it's fun to see that, you know, outside of where I've been. Yeah, and I mean, I'm, re- I'm really excited about the idea of there's this MPEX West and, you know, hopefully we can invite some former speakers and we can have a lot of great uh, times over in LA as well. <laughs> yeah, any excuse to fly you out here, right? Exactly. (laughs) Well, great. Anything else you're working on you want to talk about? I mean, we're just ramping up to release our big Elixir API that we've been working on for the last few months. Um, So we're we're doing lots of really interesting stuff with GenStage and Flow, and I'd love to talk about all of that another time. But yeah. Cool. Well, open an issue in the GitHub repo. (laughs) Do I have to do that? Well, someone has to do it. That's true. That's true. and if for everyone out there, again, um, we'd love to have some more kind of community submissions about uh, the questions that we answer. So please, please open up an issue at elixirtalk.com. Actually, no, that's completely wrong. It's github.com <laughs> forward slash elixirtalk forward slash elixirtalk. Yeah, and if you have any questions, feel free to reach out to us on our Twitter account, which is at elixirtalk. This has been really fun, Desmond. Maybe we should do it again. Uh, yeah, I mean, if people send us questions, then we'll have to do it again. And if no one sends us questions, then we'll have to just talk about our favorite Star Trek episodes. Dude, I could probably do a whole podcast using that as well, so that's that's completely fine. Should we just do that right now? Just start talking I think, about Star Trek? <laughs> uh, I'm, I'm not sure that, the, that how much overlap there is in the Elixir Star Trek uh, kind of Venn diagrams, but... so That'd be a good uh, question for our next survey. <laughs> Definitely. All right, everyone. Well, that's our show. Thanks so much for joining us. And um, we'll be back in a couple of weeks with our next episode. Uh, Until then, I'm Desmond Bowie. And I'm Chris Bell. And uh, we say, keep Keep elixiring. elixiring. (laughs) (laughs)